Oh, good stuff. Well, I'm going to ask you to open your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 2. And on that note, he's alive. I want to ask you, um, I want to ask you a question. Um, are you afraid of death? Are you afraid of dying? Are you afraid of whether it's the process of dying or death itself? Um, do you have? Do you find that you have? lingering worries and anxieties related to um, the end of your earthly days and what that might look like. You know, there are billions um, spent every year by people who are at all costs trying to avoid death and suffering. And the fear of death can grip us so fiercely that we become entirely enslaved to it and that, uh, sadly, we can get so enslaved by our our fear of, of death, our fear of suffering, that we spend so much effort and, and uh, focus of our life trying to avoid it that we fail to even live in the here and now fully. To, in, to be able to embrace what God has right now. It robs us of joy. It robs us of peace. It robs us of hope. And it can cause us to despair. And we can really become quite obsessed with it. And that when we are consumed by a fear of, of death or suffering that so much so that it seems to compel us towards one of two directions. One, either working twice as hard, doubling down on it to avoid it, and we just spin our wheel even faster, or we just give up. Well, God's people in Hebrews, it seems that um, you know, they had many concerns related to the ty- sufferings uh, that were related to their faith in Christ. That they found that as they became believers in Jesus Christ, that there were a, a kind of suffering that, that seemed to come into their life as a result of that. And, and that, that's true for everyone who who chooses to believe in Christ and to walk with Him, there is going to be suffering that enters your life as a result of it. Now, that suffering can look quite different from one person to another. For some people uh, in, in the world that we live, for some that means uh, you, it's, it's, it's like you pretty much say when you were going to follow Jesus that you've pretty much just said, I'm willing to die for my Savior really soon. That's the reality for a lot of people in the world is when they proclaim, profess faith in Christ, it is a death sentence. Or, or it's at least um, uh, they're not going to be able to have employment to provide for their family or their family might ostracize them. Um, but there's other types of suffering too. I think suffering that's acquainted with knowing the heart of our Lord and sharing the heart of our Lord. 
There's going to be suffering, the type of suffering where you long for someone to come to Christ and you yet as you pray and seek to share, share your faith with them, you're watching them live out the hard consequences of denying Christ and live with the hopelessness of, of, of nothing but God's judgment when they die. There's the type of suffering where you'll seek to serve other people and sometimes those very people who you're serving out of the love of Christ will be the very ones who come back to bruise you. There's suffering related to being a follower of Christ. And the believers in Hebrews were becoming well acquainted with those sufferings. Even, it seems, that there was concern of suffering to the point of death. And there was not only the sufferings they had experienced as a result of being believers in Christ, but also on the horizon, it seemed that there was the promise of more to come. And so apparently, it seems that there was reason for whomever God used to author Hebrews. Um, Of course, we know the ultimate author is the Lord himself. And it seems that there was concern that that the folks, the believers here, were despair, could despair to the point where they might begin to drift away from Christ. That there would be temptation to find an easier way, find an easier path. And, and, the, and, the, and the commun- what is communicated through Hebrews largely is consider Jesus Continue to hope in him and persevere. Your hope is firm. And, and your Savior is, is never failing. And that message flows through Hebrews. And we can find several points throughout Hebrews where there's both this warning of don't fall away, persevere in your faith, and also this reminder of the hope that we have in Christ. The promise that we've been given in Him of eternal life, of forgiveness of sin, of being uh, included in now in the family of God through faith in Him. You know, earthly death in, uh, and suffering um, of some sort is a reality for all mankind. It's also a reality for believers. But the power of death and suffering was conquered by Jesus Christ for those who believe. And that's why when that song becomes so powerful, he's alive. Why is it so powerful? Because it reminds us that Jesus Christ has conquered death and the power of death that it had over us. The power of sin, the power of suffering that it had over us to enslave us and and, and bind us and trap us in fear that Jesus Christ has removed it. He has conquered it. And now we get to live in his victory. And that is what our passage today is is largely about in Hebrews chapter 2 as we pick up. We're going to actually... Pick up in verse nine, but before we do that, I wanted to I want to I want to revisit with you the the first few verses of Hebrews, he, the Hebrews Creed, that's what I'm calling it. But 
Would you, would you stand with me and join with me in this as we just once again solidify who is Lord and what, uh, what God's word points us towards here. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. You may be seated. Thank you. you know, one of the things that I alluded to there as kind of opening up our passage today is that there was cause to be concerned that the Hebrews may begin to fall away from their faith in Christ because of the weight of the type of suffering and temptation that they were enduring. And in chapter 3, which we're not going to be there quite yet today, but in chapter 3, verse 12, we see this, this encouragement, this exhortation, take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. And the comparison that's given is that, uh, that there was a, um, through Hebrews, is there's this, this contrast between the faithless people of God and as represented in, in, in the Old Testament, as the, the Jewish people would often draw near to God, then fall away from God, uh, that now that we have... Jesus Christ, our great and faithful and merciful high priest to help us walk now faithfully with our God. That we would not fall away like they did so long ago, but that we would persevere and trust in Him. Finish well. Let's look at Hebrews chapter 2. We're going to pick up in verse 9, and then we're going to focus in really on verses 10 through 18. But we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. For it was fitting that he, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. That is why he's not ashamed to call them brothers, saying, I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will sing your praise. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I and the children God has given me. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, He himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore, 
He had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Let's back up there and start at the beginning because the Verse 10 is a, a curious one because it says it was fitting that God would make Jesus perfect through suffering. That's a curious thing uh, for the scripture to tell us that it was appropriate. It was appropriate for God uh, to make perfect Jesus through um, suffering. What does that mean? Well, first, before I think it's, it's interesting that before that sentence starts out and then before it's completed, there's an interjection, a couple of them. One, a reminder of who we're talking about, for whom and by whom all things exist. Right? So we're all square on who we're talking about when it says it was fitting that he, it was fitting that he, God, creator of the heavens and the earth, ruler of all things, sovereign over all things, judge over mankind. But then it it gives another interjection, in bringing many sons to glory. So before we get to what it was that was appropriate, we have this interjection that he's bringing many sons to glory. Now for a people who are beginning to perhaps despair and beginning to perhaps... uh, uh, Either contemplate, is this really worth it to follow Jesus when it just seems to be inviting a lot of hardships into life, or just through the, that natural thing that goes on inside of us that, that you know, when you, um, we, we tend to drift, to try to avoid things that are painful and difficult. It's just built within us. So whether there's the con- actual uh, cognitive consideration of what the worthiness of our time and commitment to follow Jesus, or whether it's just that instinctual, um, I would really rather avoid pain and suffering in life that would cause, a, cause them to drift away from Jesus. Um, for a people who are going through that and wrestling with that, to be reminded of, hey, you are sons and daughters of God destined for glory. That's a really important reminder. For a people who are beginning to despair and beginning to perhaps lose hope or lose sight of hope, the hope they have, to be reminded, you are children of God destined for glory. The one thing we know is when we as believers is when we compare the, the glory of God, and we compare the glory that He has called us into as children of God, that, it, that is yet to be fully realized for us. Um, there's part of it that is here now for us. Part of eternal life starts now. Right? You are a child of God now, yet you don't fully, you haven't fully realized all that that is going to entail for you. Because we yet look forward to the total fulfillment of that promise. 
But to be reminded of that promise and to believe in that begins to make the temporary sufferings of this earth that happen between right now and the time that we take our last breath here upon this earth, that we begin to realize those as difficult as they are and, and, and as painful as that will be, uh, that it is yet a small thing compared to what God has waiting for us. And all of a sudden, when our perspective shifts from the hardships of today and perhaps tomorrow, and it focuses on the glory of eternity, we begin to find a new heart to persevere. A renewed, uh, a renewed ability to continue on and push through some really hard things. Um, I think... Uh, Correct me if I'm wrong, Jenny, but I think there was one day where Jenny was sharing something about hope with me, and it was related to, I don't even know who would be twisted enough to try this, but uh, it was a, apparently there was some kind of study done on mice where um, they were put in a bucket of water, right? And they kind of would quickly sort of fizzle out. And, and what they would do is they would, I don't know, they keep putting these mice in there until they pretty much almost drowned, and then they'd pull them out. And what they found is once they were rescued, like they would kind of fizzle out pretty quick, but then once they had been rescued, they could go for a really, really, really long time in the water after that because it seemed like there was some sort of thing triggered in them that there was hope that help was coming. Weird, huh? And so it is. I think, very well built into who we are as being made in the image of God, that when we grasp that help is coming, when we grasp that our future yet awaits us, all of a sudden we go, man, today is hard. Today uh, it stinks. I wouldn't wish it on anybody, but I can make it through this because I know, one, God is with me. He is my helper. He is, he, he is right here with me to help me through this, and I have a hope in something that is so much greater than this that today is worth going through. In the Apostle Paul's words, he said, you know, I look around and I see, this is my paraphrased version. You won't find this actually in this wordage. But he says, I look around at the stuff that I have in my life, all the titles I have and all the experiences and all the things that I can claim as important in this life, and to me it's trash compared to knowing Jesus. We have a hope in something far more glorious than the stuff of earth. And so here we have this little phrase that means so much to a people that are despairing in hope. For it was fitting that he, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. Well, there's a couple things I think that is is encapsulated in verse 10 with that it was fitting that God uh, would would make Jesus perfect through suffering. Um, One, it's, it's appropriate, it's fitting, because it reveals the very heart, nature, and character of God. Consider John 3.16. Many of you know it quite well. 
John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. It was fitting that God would send his son to suffer in our place because it demonstrates who he really is. God loves those whom he's created in his image. And he loves them so much that he was willing to send his son to suffer and die in their place so that they may inherit eternal life and forgiveness of sin. It demonstrates the very heart and character of God that he would do this. It demonstrates not just that he is the conqueror, that he is sovereign over all things, that he is all-powerful, that there is none higher than he in authority and dominion, but it also demonstrates his very heart towards those whom he's created. It's also fitting because later on here we have Jesus being spoken of as our merciful and faithful high priest. Now a priest's job was to be a mediator. A mediator between his own people and God. So a priest, the, the sort of uh, unspoken part of the job description is if you're going to be a priest among people, you need to be one of the people. To be, to be representing faithfully and mercifully and, and, and accurately um, flesh and blood, you need to be flesh and blood. So Jesus had to be made like us. He had to be flesh and blood like us to represent us as a faithful high priest. But there was processes that priests would go through to consecrate themselves for the work that they'd been called to do. And in that sense, they would be made perfect for the work, or complete, readied for the work that they were called to do. And so Jesus, through his suffering, was made perfect, not, of course, in the sense that he was somehow imperfect, but rather complete and ready for what he was going to, the role he was going to step into, which is our merciful and faithful high priest mediator between us and God our judge, the Father, that when he steps into that role, that his suffering consecrates him for that. His suffering shows that he is ready and prepared and and able to fulfill that role for us. As we go on here and continue on, it says, For he who sanctifies, that's Jesus, and those who are sanctified, that's us, all have one source. What does that mean? Well, we we have a common denominator with Jesus. We actually have two common denominators that are spoken of here in, in our text. One is we share flesh and blood. He, he, he was made fully, he's fully human. Fully human and fully God, but fully human. And so we share in humanity. But we also share in something else. We share in that we are participants in God's salvation. Now, albeit in different ways, but we are participants in the salvation of God. Jesus, who is our Savior, and we who are the saved. 
And so we are bound up in really a couple of ways with Christ. One, in that just as we are flesh and blood, He came in flesh and blood and dwelt among us. And we'll get into that more here in a, in a bit. And secondly, that we are all bound together in God's plan of salvation. Christ who gave His life for us and we who need a Savior in Him who gave His life for us. And that is why, then it says, He is not ashamed to call us brothers. And then there's some... Uh, Always Hebrews being good about reminding us that the Old Testament scriptures were always pointing to this. It says, saying, I will tell of your name to my brothers in the midst of the congregation. I will sing your praise. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I and the children God has given me. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood... He himself likewise partook of the same things that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil. You realize that um, even if you go back to Genesis, when Adam and Eve uh, betrayed God and sinned against him, they hid Their instincts were hide. Why? Fear. An instinctual fear within them that informed them that whether they thought it through logically or not, I have no idea. Maybe they did. But there's an instinctual fear in really each one of us that one day our sin is going to be dealt with before a holy and righteous God. Now, we may or may not logically process that, consciously process that. Romans 1 kind of lays it out for us that we, we, this is something built into us. We know it's coming. Our soul know it's, knows it's coming. There's an instinctual fear, not just of physical death, but also of the spiritual death. That is an eternal separation from the glory of God and judgment for our sin. And that, that sin and that death since that moment in the garden have been harassing people ever since. Antagonizing people. Enslaving people. People being consumed with both this physical death And I think partly the reason that we, humanity, can get so consumed with physical death is because of that thing in our soul that knows after physical death comes judgment, which is what Hebrews says, that we're appointed one life to live, and the next thing that comes is God's judgment. But it was through his own death, Jesus Christ's own death, that he defeated the devil and the power that he had over humanity. First Corinthians chapter 15, 56 through 58, the Apostle Paul really has something very similar to say uh, as the message here in this part of Hebrews. He says, The sting of death is sin, 
and the power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. So the Apostle Paul says the sting of death, uh, the, power, the power of death and sin ha- have been conquered by Jesus Christ. So that believers now live, ought to live not in enslavement to sin and death, but rather in victory to Jesus, through Jesus Christ over those things. And so then he builds on top of that, because that's a situation then, find courage to persevere and live wholeheartedly for Christ. It's a similar message that's coming through in Hebrews here. That Jesus Christ has conquered death and the power of death. For surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. What what does that mean? Um, Well, there's discussion in the New Testament, and uh, Jesus talks about this in the Gospels, about who the children of Abraham are. See, up, up until the coming of Christ, the children of Abraham were largely thought to be those of physical descent of Abraham, the father of their faith. What Jesus brought to reality and what the New Testament lays out as our reality is that it is not those who are born of flesh and blood who inherit the promise, but those who are born of the Spirit who inherit the promise. Another way of saying that is... Uh, That it is those who are children of Abraham by faith heritage, not by physical birth heritage. Now, it's okay to be both, but certainly those who inherit the promise come through faith, not by blood. In fact, Galatians chapter 3, the Apostle Paul again talks about this. Galatians 3, 7 Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. In other words, uh, I suppose, depending on your worldview, this could be almost an insulting kind of thing. To understand that, uh, who are the sons of Abraham? Well, the sons of Abraham also include a whole lot of Gentiles. So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. So it is through faith, then, that we become descendants of Abraham. That we believe the same thing that Abraham believed, which is that God is able to save us, and that we report to him, he is our good and gracious God. So it says here then, verse 16, For surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. This is, just punctuates that, that, that thing, theme that's been developing here in Hebrews, which kind of deals with two, two things related to angels. One, that as ama- amazing as angels are, Jesus is better and greater. And the second thing is, as amazing as angels are, it's humanity that God has his eye on. It's humbling 
that God, the, it's the part of creation created in his image who spit in his face that he is sending his son to die for. This whole passage is just um, communicates the great heart that God has for you and I. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. What did that mean? It means that Jesus Christ took on human flesh, the limitations of the flesh. He walked like we walk so that he could become our perfect priest, our perfect mediator before God so that he could represent us before God so that we would not receive judgment of the judgment of God, but rather receive forgiveness of our sin and enter into eternal life, our eternal rest, through him. And that promise, then, is being brought to not the angels, but to us. It says, verse 17, Therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect. For Jesus to do what he did, for him to become our perfect sacrifice, and for him to represent us to become our high priest. Now I know that that language, uh, especially depending on your background of Jesus being our high priest, may be a little lost on you. Uh, Essentially, it means that we can't go before God ourselves. Like we can't, in our sinful condition, we cannot stand before God without receiving his judgment. We have to have somebody who represents us, who is our mediator between us and his righteous judgment. There there is no way for us to walk into the kingdom of God and somehow stand on our own two feet. We must get there through a mediator, through somebody who is acceptable. And there is only one who is capable of that, and that is Jesus Christ. And the reason he's capable of it as we go through Hebrews is because he is both fully divine and perfect and and complete and God, and he is also fully human. That he walked like us, that he suffered like us. Have you suffered? Jesus knows it. Even more than you do, he has plunged the depths of suffering. Have you been tempted? Jesus has plunged the depths of temptation and all of that without sinning and abandoning his his trust in the Father. Now that is not to say, look how far short you fall, how far short I fall because I didn't do that. But rather to say, you have a mediator, a high priest, who loves you, who is acquainted with your suffering, who is acquainted with your grief, who is acquainted with your temptation, and represents you mercifully and faithfully. Mercifully and faithfully. He became like us in every way so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest. You, you've heard that, that saying, right? Um, about being too critical of someone before you've walked a mile in their shoes, right? What's the idea? The idea is 
unless you've experienced what they've experienced and gone through whatever trial they're going through or have gone through, be slow to judge what's going on there. Because you're not acquainted with that situation and it's easy to be like Monday morning quarterbacking it, right? Well, Jesus Christ has walked where you walk. He, he has suffered what you suffer. He has endured the temptation that you are yourself tempted with. Those thoughts that would lead you to despair or to cling too tightly to the stuff of earth. Jesus Christ himself has endured that temptation. What about folks who would rebel against, who would betray you because while you're trying to serve, somehow they take that as a, 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 hatred or an attack. This kind of stuff happens, but it happened to our Lord Jesus. And in fact, he turned to his disciples and said, do you expect to be treated different? This is the way I'm treated and you're walking in my steps. Do you expect them to be treated different somehow? He became like us so that he could be our merciful and faithful high priest to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Let's look at Hebrews chapter 7, verse 23. Flip over there real quick. Hebrews uh, 7, 23. So there's a comparison later on in Hebrews here with Jesus, our merciful and faithful high priest, and uh, former priests that worked in service to God. And it says, For uh, the former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. But he holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. You have a merciful and faithful high priest and Savior who gave himself for you and now permanently is representing us, interceding for us to the Father on our behalf. Every other priest, their duties, for one, their duties fell short because they could never atone for the sin of humanity. Their job was never, ever, ever complete, which is the power in those opening verses of Hebrews when it says, after he gave uh, himself a sacrifice for sin, he sat down at the right hand of God because his work was completed. A priest's work was never done until Jesus But also, those priests, they could only serve for a limited amount of time. If for no other reason, they're mortal. They're going to die. Jesus Christ does not have that issue. He rose from the dead and now permanently is our faithful and merciful high priest. There's two things I think that the Hebrews were meant to walk away with 
in hearing this message. And there are two things that I think we ought to walk away with from this message. The first one, we're destined for glory. Uh, church, your, your road does not dead end at your gravesite. That is like not even hardly a speed bump on the way to where you're going. God's promise is sure and steady, even truer than the rising of the sun every day. God's promise is surer than that. And His promise to you who believe in Him, who have received forgiveness of sins by by asking Him for that and trusting in Him, the promise to you is you have now been called a child of God. And as a child of God, you have now been given the full promise of being a part of God's family and kingdom forever. And when you get to that kingdom, um, which oddly enough begins here and now, yet will be fully realized uh, upon our death or his return, that when that happens and we realize the fullness of his kingdom, sufferings of today and tomorrow and yesterday, I really think they're going to be quite forgotten. If they're remembered at all, it will be only be in the context of comparing it to his greatness and glory. There will be no more tears of shame, regret, be no more tears of sorrow or loss, no more betrayal. No more false accusation or no more uh, tragedy, disease, growing old. Sounds appealing, eh? Things like bad knees and poor eyesight, thing of the past, permanently. As God perfects us in every way. Listen, that's what you're going to You are sons and daughters of glory. That's what you're destined for. Compare anything that happens this side of that with that, and it pales in comparison. You can endure whatever God has for you between now and the day that He calls you home. Whatever whatever you will go through in that time, whatever tragedy, disease, or suffering, or hardship you might go through, and, and we will all go through some. And, and some, it seems, go through more than their fair share from an earthly perspective. But whatever it is, you can go through that because you are going to something so much better. And the second thing is this. So while you have that hope set before you that you're going to something far greater, you also have something here now to help you between that in that gap between net today and uh, the rest of eternity stepping into the full glory that God has for you we have a merciful faithful and powerfully capable helper in Jesus Christ 
It says, For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Now the word here for tempted actually can be um, translated in a couple different ways. Most of our translations actually just say tempted. Um, but it, it really can encapsulate more than what we think of when we say tempted. When I say tempted, most of us just think in terms of, of a, a temptation to do evil. Right? Those sinful desires, the, the fleshly desires that I have that, that need to be brought into submission to Christ and, and abandoned so that I can walk in the newness of life that God has given me. And that, that, is, that can be part of that word being translated, can certainly mean that. But it also can entail the trials and testings and difficulties of life, especially as it here is related to walking with God. The hardships related to walking with God simply because you have committed your life to Him and now walk in that, there are going to be difficulties and sufferings of various shapes and sizes that now enter into your world. And there's also going to be temptations that are kind of connected to that. Temptations to jump off the train or just passively kind of bow out to try to avoid difficulty. But you have a merciful and faithful and powerfully capable helper in Jesus Christ who has himself suffered as you suffer. He has been tempted as you are tempted. He understands and is present and powerfully capable of helping you. So we have those two things, church, to hold on to. And if you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, if you've not given your life to Him, if you have not received His forgiveness and become a child of God through that, then you, um, I'm just going to be frank with you. I don't mean to be harsh, um, and I certainly don't want this to come across in some sort of arrogant way, but just the matter-of-fact truth of God's Word is you are not a son or daughter of glory, and you are not destined for glory unless you have received Him as your Lord and Savior. That you, you have Jesus Christ offering to be the payment of your sins before a righteous and holy God. And you are invited today to take hold of that promise. To receive Him by faith and to become a child of God with all the promises associated with that. Do not deny Him. In fact, as we were looking earlier there in Chapter 2, it says, Therefore we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? Salvation has come in Jesus Christ and if you reject Him, there is no hope for you. There is no hope apart from the cross. Take hold of that promise. Cling to it tightly. And let it give you courage to persevere. Let it comfort you through every difficulty because you know you have a Savior who loves you and has endured the things that you are going through yet and will help you finish well. 
which gets to Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. We run this race to persevere, keeping our eyes on Jesus who went before us and endured the cross for us. And if you would like to give your life to Christ today, it's really a matter of you telling him that. It's really great if you share it with somebody, somebody important to you. But it's most important that you tell Jesus you want him to be the Lord of your life, to be your Savior. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word and the promises of your word that help us to endure and persevere through every difficulty in life. And we thank you for the glorious promise that we have, that what we're going to makes everything here that is difficult and hard pale by comparison. Help each one of us to keep our eyes so fixated on the promises that you have given us and the glory that we're going towards that, that we persevere with purpose and, and your joy and peace through those difficulties. Lord, I pray for those who, who have been on the fence of giving their life to you. I pray that they would surrender their life to you, that they would walk in your forgiveness and the truth of now having a hope of eternal life. Lord, that we can endure every hardship this world may throw at us because it is a temporary thing. And it is a lesser thing compared to that which we have waiting for us. And we have a Savior who is with us always and forever, who will not abandon us, who has endured the things that we have to endure, and who will help us to endure and finish well. Lord, help us to walk in step with you, with our eyes on our Savior, and our hearts fixated on the hope that lies before us of the glory that we're destined for in you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning, as we remember Christ's sacrifice for us, we receive communion. When you begin to understand that the Hebrews were going through some sufferings because they loved Jesus and because they had committed their lives to following him, you begin to understand also what the Apostle Paul talks about in Philippians. Um, one of the probably most widely quoted verses by Christians and non-Christians alike because it, it gets used so badly out of context to kind of say, you can do it, um, is Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through him who strengthens me, through Christ who strengthens me. You know what Paul's talking about? Paul has just talked about, I've gone through, I know what it is to live with plenty. I know what it is to live uh, in deficit, to live in poverty. I know what it is to, 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 to be doing great, and I know what it is to be doing horrible. And his point is, but I can fulfill the, the, the walk that God has called me to through Christ who strengthens me to do it. Not a pull yourself up by the bootstraps kind of message. It's a cling to Jesus and plead to him for help kind of message. But it's the thing we need to hear and the thing that we need to do. 
You can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. Walk in that, church. Walk in that and hold on to the glory that you are destined for.